Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Roland the Werewolf. Hi, I'm Zach. I'm playing Kieran the Pirate King. Uh, hi, my name is Zach. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I am uh, from the Hard Points podcast. I'm super excited to be joining y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been wanting to play this forever, and I'm so excited. Uh, and I'm going to be playing Sadek the Glass Mason. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm playing Father Carlisle, uh, the Priest of Confections. <laughs> so good. <laughs> And I'm JD. I am the overplayer of this game. This is Chimera Cast. Uh, this is a seaside. We will be playing Swords Without Master, uh, one of my very favorite games um, by Epidio Ravishol. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chimera Cast. That's all I need to normally say, right? I think that's right. Um, we're going to play Swords of the Master today. So Swords of the Master is a swords and sorcery role-playing game inspired by Conan and Elric and Fawford and the Grey Mouser. Kind of that era, that vibe. Everybody's playing rogues who are beholden to no one. They are rogues, um, not in the D&D sense, but in the um, traditional sense of, of the name. They have no master. They do as they please. They are mighty. They are cooler than your average person and are standout kind of heroes in this world but not necessarily good guys not necessarily bad guys they are like i said beholden to none and no one so let's go around the table and introduce everybody's characters who will be playing so go ahead and give me your name again uh, list everything that deserves a name give me your feats heroic and give me what your trick is do we want to say what our eidolon is as well oh oh definitely start with so yeah start with the eidolon first then do all that deserves a name, Pizza Rogue, and so on. So, Zach, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay. So, uh, I'm playing Sadek the Glass Mason. My Eidolon is um, the Three of Coins from, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the tarot deck now, but it's uh, by Trungles. It's Trungles, uh, Star Spinner Tarot from the Star Spinner Tarot. All that deserves a name for Sadek is Ramana, the undead djinn, her soul bound into a brass lamp. Nurak Nurai, the ghoul bandit who slew Ramana, and Markad, my saber, a name of Baal. For my feats heroic, for jovial, I have to swing my blade like a whirling ascetic, to cut just once at the necks of my harassers and send their blood spraying. And for glum, I have to recite the seven names of Baal, which sets the torchlight to flicker in the air to chill, and howls to rise in the distance so that all take heed of me. <laughs> um, so and then, good. <laughs> uh, my trick is canny cognition. Um, Ramana, summoned from her lamp, can whisper dark knowledge from beyond my senses. And that's me. Sweet. Sick. Oh, also, since I didn't, and now I feel rude, because I actually said hi earlier, but I didn't say hi on the podcast. Hey, welcome to ChimeraCast, Zach. Thank <laughs> you so much for playing with us. Uh, Thank y'all for having me. Definitely. No, I'm, yeah, I'm very we really appreciate you coming by. Yeah, yeah it's sweet. All right, I'm going to splice that in so that I don't sound like a rude asshole. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just on, only you get the opportunity to know that we're all rude assholes. Yeah. yeah. 
The facade is coming down, boys. Yeah, we, did we even ma- have a facade? Like, no, really. <laughs> the mask. The mask stayed on for an hour, and then. <laughs> okay, Nathan, why don't you introduce us to your rogue? All right, so I'm I'm gonna be playing Roland, the werewolf. I'm using as my idol on the title page from Animal Man Volume One, Issue Number Five, The Coyote Gospel. By Grant Morrison and Chris Trog. I'll, I'll link um, these in the show notes so that I know. I <laughs> it depicts a a werewolf uh, and a red sun. We'll get into all that. My things that deserve a name. I have primarily my albatross, a dragon glass vial of red sunlight. Seth, my damned brother who stole my humanity, and Adelwolf, my well-fed bird of paradise. For my feats heroic, my jovial is a ripping, a gnashing, a hunger, uncontrolled, and animalistic, I feast. And my glum is alone and watchful in the blue-black hills, my kindred respond to my mournful pleas, and race to my aid. And for my trick, I took omen, meaning I can start a phase with a thunder of my choice, should I decide to, and that is the bloody birth of the sanguine sun. S-O-N or S-U-N? S-U-N. I see. Hell yeah. Zach. All right. Uh, I'm Zach. I'm playing Kieran, the Pirate King. I also am a witch, so it's a Pirate Witch King. My things that uh, require naming. The Heart of Lumira. It's a pearl around my neck. It comes from the island that I used to be the king of. However, I lost it, and that makes reminds me that I was supposed to start with my Eidolon. My Eidolon... <laughs> <laughs> My Eidolon is the Bermuda Triangle. More specifically, you can see in the show notes below wreckage of these ships that have been upturned in the the said Bermuda Triangle. Lumira was my my kingdom, my island kingdom that I woke up one day and lost. Other things that need naming. (laughs) I have. Sorry, I just pictured like, fuck. Where did I park? (laughs) <laughs> that's a, no, that's exactly what I'm going for. He woke up one day and the island wasn't there. He was on a different island. I guess we must, we must have been on the fourth yeah. floor. I don't oh, fuck. It was not even a big We're island. Walking around, like, can... like hitting the lock, like come on. Boop, boop. <laughs> oh, I can hear it. <laughs> Just use the alarm, man. This is exactly what yes, my whole <laughs> life is. Uh, other things that need naming. I have Baltor, my giant hammer. It is named after Baltor, the former owner of said giant hammer who got his head smashed in by me. Uh, now he's a ghost and haunts the hammer and me until the the day that I become also a ghost that haunts said hammer. But that day will never come. Uh, and then last, wind, my pony. Uh, yep, I just got a cute little strong pony who carries my stuff around. And yeah, he's great. So do you? Anyway, do you not have a ship? That's a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, man. I lost my island. Just I've been looking everywhere. My ship was on the island. <laughs> <laughs> it that's, was a land ship. You I don't get it. You didn't yeah. get a rental. <laughs> no, that's the whole. Yes, that is the whole joke. I've been, I've been actually like crossing the plains trying to find my island. <laughs> Where did I put it? Yeah, I'm like Don Quixote. (laughs) A handsome buff Don (laughs) Quixote. It's worth noting my character is 6'8 and makes uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger blush. You've been increasing his height every time you've brought it up. No, I believe 6'8 has always been the running number. Anyways, I need to tell you guys about my feats heroic, which are much more serious. Mike Lum, feat heroic. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out of order for half a second. 
because my trick is unparalleled. So I have changed the jovial tone to savage in regards to everything that I do. Back to the feats heroic. My glum feats heroic. The sleek black ships slowly navigating their calm waters, infecting the supply with Lemurian poisons. And my savage feats heroic. I, a parade of carnage, bash ribs to splinters, cut throats to ribbons, and scream for the glittering coffers. Those are my two things. If you can't tell, uh, if I can't get it done when the sun's out, we get, we get some boats and make it happen. Other than that, I have nothing else to uh, engage with here. All right, Ryan. Uh, yeah, I'm playing Father Carlisle, a, uh, a priest of confections. Uh, my Eidolon is a, a jar of jam that I bought at uh, Poor Rock Abbey in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, so yeah, my things to be named. Um, uh, Baka Yao, uh, the Lord of Confections, is my god. He sort of represents both sides of uh, like confections, baked goods, like the the happy side, which is you know enjoying those with people you love and that kind of stuff and uh spreading joy through cooking but he also the the dark side of that of like the the dangerous things that could be hidden behind a sweet facade um Mm. so father carlisle is both priest and poisoner doru my stubborn mule slash victim of a curse uh doru was a, a a person i was supposed to poison but i thought he could serve better uses so i turned him into a mule with candy and then the little deadlies, which are ensorcelled treats that I keep secreted about my person. My feet's heroic. Glum, being lured into the witch's house, an upset stomach, rotting teeth, and poisons. And my jovial, revelry, hunger-sated, comfort, confectionery warmth, and bakery scents. My trick is adroit prowess, and I have a demon-bound gingerbread man who I, I keep hidden away. Are we the bad guys? We're always the bad guys when we play this. <laughs> I just realized, like, we're we the are bad rogues. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah There's yeah. a reason they're not called the heroes. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're very, very, very true. You're amoral. I gotta say, I love, I love Priest and Poisoner. I think that is such a good concept. It yep. is really good. Yeah. I was chuckling to myself all day at work as I, like, slowly pieced this character together. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is very stupid. And I love it. <laughs> Cool. So, um, what's gonna happen now is I'm going to um, roll roll the bones for the first time in the game. Let's see what tone we're gonna be in. Glum. We're gonna we're gonna start in the glum tone. I think I want to start with a rogue's phase. The drip, drip, drip of water echoes throughout these silent caverns. The four of you have been spelunking through them, making your way deeper and deeper into the cold, damp earth for what feels like days. Only the faintest light still left in your lamps. The last dull glow of the embers sitting at the bottom. You come slowly to a ledge overhanging a cavern. The blind serpent below you, I'm picking up the dice now for the thunder, is sticking its tongue out, tasting the air, moving slowly so as not to waste its energy, seeking prey. So during a rogue's phase, the rogue's prowess is illustrated through the demands of the players. 
So what we're going to do is I'm going to first hand the dice to a rogue and make a demand. That demand will say, show us how you blank. You will then roll the dice immediately to establish what tone you will be in. And then you will describe how your rogue does the thing to satisfy the demand. When you have finished, you can pass the dice along to another rogue player and make a demand of them. Or you could pass the dice to the overplayer and make a demand of the world, saying, show us how something reacts. Show us, show us how something changes. So what we're here to do is basically see the rogues be badasses. As a rogue player, as you hand it off, what you want to do is make demands that uh, excite you about the other rogue. So tune into the things that you think that they will do in a cool manner. This phase ends whenever anybody, any player, demands it. So as we're passing things around, in between somebody finishing and then making another demand, anybody can end it, including the overplayer. So I'm going to pass the dice along. Roland. So I'm going to pass the dice over to Roland. Show us how you navigate a safe route down into the serpent's den. <laughs> yes. Yep. And immediately it is a stymie. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> And a mystery, right? Yes. Ooh. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Wow. So yeah. Uh, for this, you can feel free to either not find a safe route down. It could be a route down that's not safe. It could be something else, right? Whatever you were intending to do, though, isn't going to happen. So part of this, if you stymie, especially in a rogues phase, it requires the honesty of going forward with your intent and then saying that intention will not happen. So it may never be voiced, but you need to think about it um, whenever you're answering it. And we get a mi- and we get a mystery too, right? And the overtone also shifts, right? Oh, yes, you're correct. Thank you yes. for the reminder. As the last embers of our lamp light flickers, we begin making our way deeper and deeper. And Roland, whose eyesight is the strongest in the dark, takes the lead. Adelwolf, who usually sits quietly perched on my shoulder, I brush solemnly and set atop wind hold one gnarled claw to my mouth and begin making my way our way leading our way around the serpent and we're almost there and then staccato a crack through the wall of this cavern white hot light explodes through striking me in the eyes as i let loose a loud and painful howl and the light pearlescent begins bubbling and popping my skin and the snake rears up big as ten houses and leaps forward and gnashes into my arm the blood mixing with the light becoming almost a sparkler fizzing and popping in the air before the light is suddenly gone as well before you pass the the bones you see behind the serpent as it bites you and sinks deep into you and in kind of your glaze as you try to fight through that pain you see just beyond it up in a little nook carved out of the earth the glittering crystalline serpent egg i've picked up the dice now i will pass them to sadek and i ask of you uh oh what was your what were you wanting to write down for your mystery oh what is the nature of this blinding light sadek please show us how you beat back this serpent's assault on your boy, on your poor sweet wolf friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, so I roll first, right? Correct. Yeah. 
and that is glum. Oh, and it's both die are under four. Oh, so it'll have, it'll have so a moral a- as well. So in your narration, you need to describe what you do, um, the effect of it, and then some sort of unintended consequence of it, of whatever you do. As Sadek lunges forward, seeing Roland attacked by the blind serpent, we hear the quick tapping of Sadek's sandals on the stone and the jangle of the sheath of Sadek's saber bouncing against the lamp that he keeps tied to his belt. And the saber Markad, named after one of the seven names of Baal, flashes in the darkness against the dying embers of their lamps. And we hear the sound of metal on metal as that saber strikes out at the white blind serpent. And as the saber cuts into the serpent's neck, we are met not with a spray of blood, but with a milky white putrescence that pours forth from the wound and sets to boiling upon the stone. And while Roland is freed from the serpent's bite, Sadek has done little to wound the beast, but has only enraged it. I said I am moral. So you've enraged it rather than hurt it, which I think is a good one. See, it seems like something along the lines of like, I feel like I acted too quickly. I acted too hastily. Striking blindly can have unintended consequences? Yeah. Uh, unintended consequences is too vague, I think, but striking without knowing your opponent will lead to harm. Maybe? That's, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Does yeah, that work for you, that. Zach? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So go ahead and make it a man of one of the rogues or the overplayer and pass the dice to them as you do so. I think Father Carlisle... Show me how your faith comes to our aid. Roll <laughs> those bones. Come on, Stymie. <laughs> uh, it's just glum. The overtone is still jovial to remind. The snake is, is glittering strangely, especially covered in this, uh, this bright luminescence now that seems to continuously grow brighter. For in jovial, I've definitely slapped the ass of wind and told it to gallop away from. from How was your horse in a cave? As I'm, I don't know, but it is. <laughs> I, yeah. To be fair, I introduced it, so <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that was my bad. Yeah, <laughs> I've definitely made it go away now. Yeah, so I think we see entering the camera from around the tunnel a rotund man in like black robes with a candy striped purple and green stole pulling viciously on the lead to a a mule who will not continue down the tunnel, sensing perhaps being more intelligent than his master and sensing the danger ahead. Father Carlisle glances over his shoulder and sees the snake glittering in the, the like half light left over from that crack in the the walls of the cavern. Ah, uh, friend Doru, it seems our stalwart companions have gotten themselves into a spot of trouble. He uh he digs around in his robes, uh, in the like some velvet patches sewn into the inside, and he brings out a piece of rock candy, uh, that glows and seems to like bubble on the inside. He tosses it at the serpent into its mouth. 
which and it, it bursts this candy and you see the long fangs that had dug into Roland's arms begin to rot and grow brittle and black as this brackish cavity starts to spread through the the long poisonous fangs Kieran, show us how Boltor helps to turn the tides of this battle. I am in a very savage mood. You see Kieran ready his giant hammer, and over his shoulder, you see an ethereal hand grab, as if to calm, as if to steady the arm of this warrior. Bah! No! As he wipes away the spirit of Boltor and grasps harder on the true essence of Boltor, the hammer, which he brings to his midsection and begins charging at the snake, screaming of the ineffectuality of toothless existence. He rears it up like a pike and jams Boltor into the skull of the snake as it tries <laughs> it tries to attack him. Dazed, the snake whips back, wishing, hoping, gnawing at everything that it can, snapping at the air. But this giant slab of meat of a man cannot be contained by the coiling of this particular snake. He dances around its blind, grabbing, and smashes its head again sending one of the dead eyes out of its skull. (laughs) Blood gushing everywhere. (laughs) He again cracks down with the severity of this must be the end, fracturing its bony resonant left over in that socket that now gapes as it screams its toothless cries. Another shove, another shove, as blood, this putrescence, scatters everywhere. But somehow, thankfully, not unto Kieran, as if guided by some light, as if someone had taken the fangs out of its blood as well as its mouth. I pick up the dice. I'm going to hand them the rolling. Show me how you... Kill this thing. Hell yeah. Alright, that's uh that's jovial. So Roland, seeing the snake so near to death. His eyes frenzy and he runs full force on all fours and jumps upon the back of this dying snake and begins ripping, tearing at its spine. It's putrescent, acidic blood sizzling and popping brightly off of Roland's tattered and matted fur. And in one last coup de grace, Roland takes a giant bite and tears the life and cords from the back of the snake and howls. Oh! Uh, I think I want to end the phase there. That yeah, it seems sweet. Seems appropriate. Yeah. So the dice are going to come back to me. And I will roll the tone for the next phase. Uh, real quick, do we want to do motifs and 
yeah um did you guys have any um motifs that you wanted to add or any any threads that you wanted to add to the the first motif uh something about the blinding light bursting from the cave wall i really yeah i really like the blinding light i liked i also liked the spray of blood against the light sparkling like gunpowder like th- that nate described oh yeah i think yeah that, i think that's actually like that mu- a yeah. better one because the blinding light itself is a mystery as yeah well. yeah so like yeah so the spray would you say sparking like what nate described it as sparkling and i uh, uh, right. like a sparkler and i i said like gunpowder sparkling I like sure. gunpowder i like it yeah so spray of sp- our first our first uh thread is the spray of luminescent blood sparkling like gunpowder sick hell yeah cool anybody else have one that they feel strongly about I really like the I really like the white acidic putrescent blood. I mean, that also ties into the the spray of, and yeah, I, I that was why I'm spray of luminescent yeah. acidic. Let's just give all of our descriptors of this blood. There you go. Yeah, it's basically go. the blood was cool. So yeah, <laughs> blood was sweet. Had a good time with it. <laughs> yeah, spray of luminescent acidic blood, sparkling like gunpowder. Cool. Let's go to the next phase. Uh, I rolled double threes, so we're gonna go back to Glum. I'm I'm going to enter a perilous phase here. We see our four rogues emerge out of the naturally carved caverns, and now into a hall built and supported by the bones of ancient giant beasts. You have come at last to the sarcophagus under the earth, the Cathedral of Bones which you had been seeking. The priests and priestesses lie around, many of them naked, covered still in juices from the meat of their feast. The still charred bones sit over a fire of an unknown beast. The Lord of Bones sits upon his throne, and as the four of you enter, he stands slowly, his sinews almost bursting with the effort of lifting himself upright. Ah, we have new revelers come to join us. I'm sorry you have missed the feast, but maybe we will still have room for dessert. And as he starts walking down the steps made of ribs his cape of rattling bones dropped behind him and with each step thunk this hollow dull thud I'm gonna pick up the dice and and throw out the thunder each of you hears from somewhere a singing whisper but you cannot tell its origin and I'm going to um, pass the dice over to Sadek. In this perilous phase, the goal here is that I'm going to bring the storm whenever a, a rogue is not narrating. If you don't have the dice, you can only slip and struggle against the storm. So you guys can feel free to describe how your rogues are reacting and struggling with whatever's happening. And then at any time, the player that has the dice can roll in order to interrupt the narration. And I will stop immediately as soon as you roll the dice, as long as I can hear it. If I don't hear it, please just say, I rolled, and then I'll stop my narration. Anything that happens up to the point that you roll the dice is canon. It's set in stone. It cannot be altered. But as soon as you roll the dice, everything after that is obliterated. It's gone. And you can take over narration. 
once you do that, you can pick up the dice whenever you want, and I will continue bringing the storm, and then pass the dice whenever you feel like it. You can hold on to them as long as you want, and while you're holding on to them, you guys can still slip and struggle, but no one can actually overcome anything. And then the phase ends whenever the rogue player who just rolled chooses to end the phase by passing the dice back to, back to me. Um, so our goal here is basically we're going to see your rogues in real danger. Your duty when you don't have the dice or when you haven't rolled is basically to demonstrate the fact that your foe is a total badass. And then you have the opportunity to overcome that badass. You could also choose to succumb to your hardship and you could choose to have a glorious death. And that's all up to you. My duty is basically to threaten you and present real and interesting foes. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Can I get clarity again? So uh, you have narrative control until I decide to roll. Correct. Exactly. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue my narration. At any point, you can interrupt me. Okay. The Lord of the Bones stands before you high on his altar. And he reaches down and he lifts up some ancient brittle femur. And he begins chanting. He points the bone down at Kirin, the pirate witch king. And his chanting grows louder, echoing throughout the Cathedral of Bones. As he does so, his followers begin to stir in their uh, slumber. Some of them begin to look up and see what is occurring. The Lord of Bones then pulls this femur back in and begins to bend at it. And Kieran, you feel your leg bone stretching and it's like, it's like cramping. And then with a snap, Kieran, your leg breaks. Okay, I should try ah! to roll. <laughs> let, now, the femur, the strongest bone in my whole body. Let, let him hang out. Let, leave him to hang out to dry for a minute. I <laughs> yeah, know, it's good. <laughs> This guy hasn't paid for the food I got him. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and roll. All right. All right, I rolled... Dang, I rolled another two and a one, so that's another moral. Don't, uh, tr don't trust the bone wizard, Zach. That was the moral. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Marrowmancer may be what we want. Ooh. Ooh. Osteomancer, yeah. I think, is the... Ooh, uh... Ooh Osteomancer <laughs> is way better. I actually might use one of my feet heroics. Sure, you can um, always do that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's too early to be throwing this out there, but um, I think uh, which which feet heroic are you gonna use first of all? Because that will, my glum. You're gonna use your glum. Okay, so we're gonna ignore the fact that you rolled a moral, and we're gonna ignore whatever tone you rolled, and then okay. you're gonna narrate in glum, and you just have to incorporate your glum feet into your narration. Okay, the snap of Kieran's femur echoes throughout the cavern to the sound of the moaning of the Lord of Bones priests and priestesses. And Sadek feels that snap reverberate in his chest. And his sword still in hand, he raises it and points it at the Lord of Bone. And he begins to recite the seven names of Baal as his priests and priestesses stir these words, these names, these holy verbs reverberate throughout the room, setting the torchlight to flicker and the air to chill. And we see the color drain from the Lord of Bones face. And Sadek has pulled the attention to him and he demands in a voice that demands attention that the Lord of Bones stop and give them parlay. 
Cool. So now you pick the dice back up. Okay. And then I'm going to continue bringing the storm. And I'm thinking of the best way to do this, given what has... Do we mention that you can pass the dice freely while you're narrating? Did that get mentioned? Oh. Yes. Now that you've picked it up, you can pass the dice whenever you want while I'm narrating. It's just no one else can roll until you pass the dice. So you can't roll again is the idea, right? But you can let me bring the storm for as long as you want to before passing it, right? Yeah. Okay, so I can keep hold of the dice, which keeps me safe, but I can't roll anymore. Oh, it doesn't keep you safe at all. Oh, it no, doesn't. No, no. Okay. no it's it's if you want to like make our lives very scary. It's yeah, great. exactly. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. The longer that goes on, right, the more powerful your foes become. The more powerful your foes become, the cooler it is when you guys win. Is basically okay. basically the whole point of the perilous phase. So I demanded parlay. Uh huh. And I'm I'm is that throwing off our? I was thinking that that played into glum to keep it mellow, but is that messing up our tone too much? Well, I think your glum works because you are invoking the name of your god, right? And it sent this chill through everyone, and his face went real pale. I think that's really good. So you already hit the tone. Hitting parlay is just your rogue is asking for it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, and it's not going to happen because cool. it's a perilous phase. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. I'm okay with that. Can I pass the dice now, or should I wait until you start? You you totally can. You can pass them whenever you want. All right. I'm going to pass them to Kieran. Cool. I know the one that you name, but he has little power in my realm. I will not be frightened off by old demons. Not in my domain. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a handful of small bones and he squeezes them and with each pop, 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 you feel your fingers breaking. Sadek. And then the Followers, the worshippers of the Lord of Bones have climbed now to their feet and they begin stirring and slowly walking towards you, many of them grabbing the utensils they were using to eat before, their carving knives and their sharp forks, and they're salivating once again. Another feast has entered and they begin to come around the four of you and a few slip behind so that you cannot go back the way that you came. Roland, you find yourself with one of them coming at you, driving their knife forward. I'm going to roll. Cool. We got a mystery and we got a glum tone. Or a moral, sorry. Kieran attempts, in the way he always has, to raise his hammer, to strike at the bodies coming towards them. But... When I attempt to put my weight on my leg where the femur has been snapped, the leg gives squelch, bone puncturing skin. As I fall to my side, the hammer unable to be kept within my grip. I am a miserable mess of a man. My compatriots attempt to help, to rise me to my feet, to my full bodied, empowered stance, the hero, or at least the savage that they have always known to deal with numbers. I could slay hundreds if I were in peak form. But in this scenario, I am not. Through slow tears dripping down my face, I turn to Father Carlyle. We must do something or else we'll die here. 
brute force is no longer an option. As I gesture at what was my leg. <laughs> now a tattered mess. An unstuffed stocking hanging. Now you're just being gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> I have no mind for these things. And I will pick up the dice. Damn, hell yeah. Rolling this knife now. Punctures into your ribs. <laughs> Seems to cut effortlessly through your meat. I'm giving the dice to Carlisle. And is digging deeper, deeper, looking for those delicious sweet meats, those organs. I rolled the dice. I only got to stab one person that time. Yeah. They did find they did find my organs though. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's canon. Uh, so I think I just rolled a jovial tone. Oh wait, did we have a? Oh yeah, the moral. Yeah, you had a moral. Oh, oh yeah. Huh. Uh, right. Uh, don't stand on a broken leg. <laughs> that's more or less what I'm going for. Um, know your limits. Yeah. Yeah. I think know your limits. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I think that's great. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you were very much like. I'm going to attack. And like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Let's give that a little purple shit. Know the limits of your own strength. Ooh. Ah, there it is. Father Carlisle looks down at Kieran, and in his hands, from seemingly out of nowhere, appears a muffin in one hand and a, a knife with uh, some buttercream frosting <laughs> that he begins to spread on the uh, the muffin. <laughs> Pocket cupcakes, I motherfucker. <laughs> I literally thought, oh, a knife. He's gonna... With cream frosting. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> well, if it is dessert he wants, then that is what he shall get. And uh, as Father Carlisle takes a big bite out of this, this pumpkin muffin with walnuts and raisins in it and some rum, he uses some, his sympathetic connection with his god to spread that like hunger being sated feeling throughout these ravenous priests and priestesses you know it, it begins as just a full feeling for them but it, that full feeling continues to to grow and grow and mount and mount as their stomach just continues to fill with horrible horrible confections they begin to collapse, clutching their stomachs, vomiting upon the bone tiles of this cavern, uh, dying as their stomachs burst. And I'm picking up the dice. Yeah, I pass them to Roland. Roland, you see the priest in front of you who had stabbed you suddenly clutch his stomach and stagger backwards. He dry heaves a few times, but nothing comes up i'm being gratuitous <laughs> and then he collapses to the ground in pain shudders once or twice and then dies the lord of bones muttering to himself no this cannot be what awful magics have they brought to this place and he leans down and picks up a rib cage and sets an arm to it and one of his dead priests limply pulls itself up, and its arm flails about awkwardly, reaching for a knife. But the Lord of Bones has to grab another couple of small finger bones to get the bones to, of the priest to move, and it wraps around this knife awkwardly and clumsily, and it drags itself up, and it tries to slash back at you. Alright, I have rolled. It's just jovial, right? Yeah, yeah. it's just jovial. What's the overtone right now? Glum. 
when I think which I think is fitting they've, he's marionetted his own yeah, followers, yeah. yeah. this is gruesome I love it <laughs> very gruesome <laughs> absolutely gruesome so Roland whimpering and clutching at his spilling innards sees the perpetrator of all this violence less human than he now attempting to jostle at the very tenets of mortality and enraged Roland jumps leaps knocking the Lord of Bone to the ground, snarling in wolf tongue, pinning his arms to the ground as the Lord of Bone attempts to attach a femur to a joint or perhaps attempts to break a bone and keep Roland at bay, but I will not be kept at bay, and I rip his throat out. Uh, are you choosing to end the phase there? I I am. Uh, any motifs people want to hit? Uh, a femur snapping? Uh, I'm going to do a... A femur snapping through sorcery. That was very visceral, yes. I liked that. uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what the term was that Zach used. Uh, Something like a limp stocking of flesh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Leaving an empty stocking. (laughs) How's that work for you? That works great. I think it works great. I'm uh, going to roll the tones for the next phase. Jeez, okay. I rolled doubles again, so we're going jovial. Just to cover them all, I would now like to enter a discovery phase. Our four rogues sit around a fire. The smell of cooking food, filling the air, putting a rumble in your hungry bellies. Bright sun, almost blinding now that you have left the cathedral behind you. It's beating down its warmth, giving energy back, drying your damp clothing. While the four of you sit around this fire, there is a fifth. Your prize from the Cathedral of Bones. The skull of the saber-toothed chieftain. I'm going to pick up the dice. Just for quick clarification, saber-toothed chieftain. Is his skull saber-toothed or... Is that something I get to discover? <laughs> it's not. You don't have to discover it, but I'm leaving it for you guys to interpret. All I came up with was the phrase Sabretooth Chieftain. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can do any work you want with it yet. Or the thunder. Over the horizon, some sort of cloud is gathering. It could be dust. It could be a storm. It has a strange cyan hue to it. It almost looks like the sea of your home, Kieran. So for a discovery phase, the world or the plot is revealed through the experiences of the rogues. So what's going to happen is I'm going to pass the dice to a rogue. The rogue player will immediately roll the dice and reveal something that you know or is just now discovering. Then you will ask the overplayer, that's me, a loaded question. And I would load these as strongly as you can or want to. The answer that the overplayer gives is known by the rogue. Not all of you, but just the one asking. After answering, if the overplayer chooses to continue the phase, the rogue player passes the dice to a new rogue player who immediately rolls again and repeats the process. Uh, After answering, if I choose to end the phase, I will end it. So the desire here is to learn about the story you're studying. Your duty is to bring to the story that which interests you the most, aka only ask loaded questions that you find interesting. Your opportunity here, you can shape the world, you can find strange and exotic things, and you can shape the plot in unexpected ways, and then my duty is to basically present interesting twists on the discoveries. So basically, you're going to roll the dice, narrate whatever's going on, if conversations are happening between you all, whatever, you can still do that, and then you will either make a discovery or reveal something that your rogue already knew, uh, and then you're going to ask me a charged question about it. I'll answer, and then we'll continue. 
as we learn about the world. And then once I feel like we've learned enough interesting things, I will move on. I'm going to pass the dice to Father Carlisle. I think that's a stymie. Oh, that's a good one. So a stymie... Well, first of all, the tone's going to switch. So we're going to switch to Glum somehow, or for some reason. So stymie, stymie and a mystery, isn't it? Did you roll double twos? Yeah, I rolled double twos. So yeah, it's a stymie and a mystery. So what this means is something magical or uh, non-mundane is occurring. And here's the key. You're going to describe it, and you're going to describe the fact that you're missing it. Only the players know about it, not the rogues. And then, yes, there will still be a question about the mystery, whatever it is that you are not noticing. Father Carlisle gets up from where he's placed a tray or pan of some sort of baking sheet that he's placed over the fire with like some cookies or something on it and approaches the skull and he lifts it up to stare into the eye sockets and he's like running his fingers over this like horrible malformed half man half beast skull and running his fingers along the the tracery of runes carved into it as his fingers play over the runes the eyes of the skull glow a a bright jade and he's pulled into a vision of a group of these werebeasts on an unsuccessful hunt as their quarry, this giant water buffalo, manages to, to fight them off and escape them, charging through this sort of brackish, knee-high water. In the distance, a massive ziggurat looms in this vision, shrouded by gray skies with a, a pale moon hanging overhead. As this like pulls back, the thing that Father Carlisle misses is that this skull can serve as a gate to that ziggurat. Yes, yes, interdimensional shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. And then, yeah, I think the, the mystery is like, what is in the ziggurat? Or what purpose does the ziggurat serve? Oh, purpose. Oh, yeah. 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 I have to ask a question. Correct? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah, of course. who is coming after the skull now that we've rescued it from the Bone King? Ooh. Oh, we missed this too? Oh, yeah, because I'm stymied. Correct. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, how do you feel about Naruk Norai being the one that is chasing you? I love it. Then there you go. Naruk Norai, the ghoul bandit. Ryan, please pass the dice to somebody. I'm going to pass them to Sadek. All right. So that is a jovial tone. Sadek is sitting by the fire and he is inspecting his saber and he's running a, I don't know how to tend to swords alternating between a whetstone and an oiled rag over his saber, inspecting the damage that caustic blood has dealt to his beloved saber. And he is railing loudly, heretics, pagans, monsters, demon worshippers, how? And he's like getting kind of rough with his sword as it as it shings and it sends sparks flying over these baking cookies at the, <laughs> at the fire. <laughs> There's a bunch of metal shavings in our cookies now. 
And Sadek is swearing up and down and railing against what he considers a personal failing uh, of this mission. And he is wondering furiously why the seven names of Baal were not able to stop the Lord of Bones. And he's, he's screaming, they have no reverence for high gods, no reverence for the right way of things. These monsters, these demon worshippers, these creatures in the dark. And as he's doing this, the singing of the blade brings to mind a memory that he had not noticed at the time, but he thinks back to that singing whisper in the cave. And this echo that he didn't even notice when they were there with the Lord of Bones. But now remembering it, he wonders if this has something to do with why his spell, his invocation, didn't work. And so my loaded question is, how did the Singing Whispers protect the Lord of Bones? You know that the, or perhaps your realization as you kind of connect what those could be, is that the Cathedral of Bones was built eons ago across the chasm of eternal whispers where the souls of the dead dwell. It is the accumulated anger and anguish of these suffering souls cursing the gods that negate their power there. Gods require worshipers. They require those that believe in them. This is why in every religion across the world it is a sin to curse your god because it saps their power. I think there's something to that realization that Sadek is, that I think he voices this to the others. They have come from a place that is close to the underworld, and we should take care that what we have brought back does not linger with the underworld's powers. Uh, I would like to continue this phase. Yeah, I will pass this to Kieran. Yeah, let's go. Duh! Double ones. Well, we're in glum, right? Oh, it ah. happens. So that means it switches Woo! to savage. It, it happens. <laughs> oh, boys, we're going to savage lands. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't have. Yes! I don't have a little card. I have the power. I don't have a card for this, but yeah. So because we were on glum, and then specifically because Kieran rolled a stymie, the overtone is going to switch to savage. Hell which yeah! Fucking oh, rules. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, however, you're also going to miss something, which also rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is bad. Is this a mystery as well? Yeah. Yes. yes. Damn, we're just double ones. piling shit up. Okay, so it's savage. You're going to miss something, and we have a mystery. <sighs> I'm, I'm excited to see how you hit the savage tone in a, in a, in a discovery phase. <laughs> yeah, I'm so interested. I'm going crazy thinking about <laughs> What really involves us moving towards a savage tone is that Kieran demands to be fixed in the way of his people, which, if you can believe that, is savage. Kieran will do it himself, but I'll offer it to anyone else. You must capture sacrifices. They cannot be dead already. I require that they be alive first. Father Carlisle's holding out like a, a pastry with like some cherries in the middle of it. I don't know why you will not just take the healing pastry that I offer. It is far more civilized than such barbaric rituals. 
Get that away from me. <laughs> and I slapped the pastry into the into the forest, knowing damn well that that pastry probably would heal me. Roland stands up, the freshly metal-sewn stitches in his side, holding his organs in. Neither you two have the constitution for it anyway. What sorts of things do you need, Kieran? Bigger the better. Good. So Roland goes out into the forest, finds me a couple of uh, jackrabbits, but finds me a buck, a big deer, that you somehow miraculously took down without killing it, which is an unhuman feat. We begin the ritual of sacrifice, stringing the animals up by their feet. And you hear in my native tongue, Spoken, a bone for a bone, blood for blood, life for life. In the fervor of this, I take the saber-toothed skull and place it like a helmet upon my head. And then I begin gutting each animal, saying the proper prayers to the proper gods. The god of my island, the nothing that absorbs everyone who comes within its path. And the crimson blood and bright white marrow leaking everywhere in our small campground reinvigorate my body, pumps something anew through my veins. But this skull has been on my head this whole time. Absent-minded, it had somehow found its way there. And while... There would generally or normally be a feast of these beasts. There is not. There is a sacrilege as we burn the bodies of the animals and use them for nothing. And the smoke rises up and fills through the eye holes in the saber-toothed crown into my eyes, burning them hot red. Why does this skull wish to control us and use us. What is the discovery that you're making exactly? Let's start there. Or I'm not making the discovery, right? Uh, you're making a discovery, but you're missing it. The skull is controlling me oh, okay. and taking me further in my rights than I would have generally. And what's, what's your question? Why, basically, right? The chieftain's people have gone feral and not had a leader since its passing. It wishes to reestablish its conate, its dentata of saber tooths. So it, it only can have power through possession of a physical embodiment, but its consciousness is very much still there within its skull. Let's let's keep passing the dice. Oop, my turn. Oh wait, um, what's your mystery on that? Oh Jesus, right? I have. Yeah, you. Yeah, you had a lot in one roll. Is it being too, like, on the nose if it's like I'm fully healed and I don't know why? This is usually a ritual of almost, like, good healing. Like, you will become yourself in time. Well, why am I, why am I filled with this new vigor or something yeah. like that? Is that why am I filled with this new vigor and fervor? I like fervor. Especially because it's savage. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's keep it rolling. You rolled good. If only we were playing Dungeon World. <laughs> uh, so that's Glum. Roland, after fetching these deer and rabbits for Kieran, 
so unceremoniously being disallowed from eating them, as I was promised, Roland strolls away from the party, quite literally to lick his wounds. I had spent much of the time that we were around camp stitching up my guts, but now I off on a hillock or something, under the strange off-blue light of this incoming storm, begin investigating the burns and scars of the blood of the snake. And I start with one on my arm or leg and begin picking with one long, dull claw, scratching away at the, the, the putrefying flesh, the still soft scab. I pull my finger away and latched onto it is another tiny snake. Ugh. JD, who started the ritual which would infest us with snakes? I know she looped in us. That us was a key word there. I didn't touch it weird. You actually did describe how you didn't get touched by it at all. <laughs> I'm not sure that applies to everybody. I think maybe no one but me. I'm excited to die to my snake friends. <laughs> it was, in fact, the very earth itself. You cannot slay an ancient god without expecting there to be consequences, can you? Uh, I'm going to end the phase there. Oh, do we do motif? Oh, we should. We definitely had some. I'm fucking black ziggurat under a pale moon. I don't give a fuck. Can we add into the second phase uh, right now? Yes, you can. It's just you can never leave the second phase until, like, if you fill up these other two with random ones, the, the last one has to reference one of the previous ones. Yeah, I'm definitely cool with writing other motifs. I want to pick up the pace a little bit so that we finish this in a, in a timely manner smoke burning your eyes and turning them red smoke burning your skull clad eyes and turning them red oh, Ooh, yeah skull, skull clad skull clad's a fucking good word it's a good yeah, that's a good is. bad name all right i'm gonna i'm gonna roll the tone for the next phase uh glum staying in glum i demand that it's a rogue phase and i demand that you ask me to demonstrate using my uh demon bound <laughs> gingerbread man yes. <laughs> hell you. yeah okay here we go um <laughs> adroit prowess um write down an astounding capability before the overplayer chooses a new phase you can demand that it's a rogue's phase and that the overplayer opens it I, so I have to open it with a demand that highlights this feature. Okay, that's that's critical. Oh God, <laughs> this just this just fucked my whole plan, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got it. It's perfect. Okay, it's glum. The half moon is hanging low in the sky, bright enough that it's difficult to see the stars. You can see the shadow of the other part of the sphere, even though it's not fully illuminated just yet. And the four of you are making your way through the broken halls of a dead castle, stones overgrown with millennia of lichen, the remnants of furniture long ago eaten away by the forest. You had hoped that this place would give you refuge, but it doesn't. Now pick up the dice and let peel the thunder. A winged silhouette courses across the moon. I'm going to pass the dice over to Father Carlisle in order to fulfill his adroit prowess. Father Carlisle, show us how your demon-bound gingerbread man bides you enough time to escape from Nurok Norai, who pursues you. Please die me. <laughs> no, but it, it's just glum. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> 
Father Carlisle, where like the the rest of the like velvet patches sewn into his robes are like maybe sealed with just a button. He uh he reaches down to one that's padlocked shut. It has a small padlock and he pulls a key off of a, a bracelet around his wrist. And as the camera zooms in, you can see the pocket begin to twitch. And he he unlocks the the padlock and reaches in and pulls out a small gingerbread cookie <laughs> with its its hands where they're outstretched are bound with uh uh <laughs> frosting chains that go from one hand to the other. <laughs> My master. What is yeah yeah? What is the name of the demon? Oh man! And how does the demon feel about being bound to a gingerbread? <laughs> yeah, right. Like <laughs> so embarrassing. He's gonna have to go back to hell and explain this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my twenties were really weird. <laughs> the the demon's name is Goral Zub. And as Father Carlisle, with a single thumbnail, like, wipes away the frosting chains in the middle and licks the the frosting off his finger. Be free, my old friend, Goralzub. Your chains are broken. Hold this foe off from us, and your bond to me is broken forever, and you can return whence you came. And he puts the little gingerbread on the the ground, and uh, it begins to grow into a, a gingerbread adult and yeah it, it, he has a, a candy cane sickle <laughs> that he pulls out oh shit and uh the ghoul bandit steps into like the pool of firelight as goral zub in gingerbread form charges at him sickle swinging down towards his head and i'll uh pass the dice to a uh, roland Show us how your acute senses help lead us through the darkness. Yep. Sure I'm not forgetting anything. It is Glum and has a moral. We get away from the castle and ostensibly away from, or at least separated from, Naruk Narai. And in one last furtive glance over our shoulders, we can see the giant now, big as the castle gingerbread man, ripping one of the, the towers free and tossing it and smashing it on the ground. <laughs> This might be the dumbest thing I've ever created <laughs> on the podcast. You made a gingerbread kaiju, dude. Uh, Sadek, um, that won't stop Noruk Norai, will it? Sadek shakes his head and he goes, um, no. I don't know why Noruk Norai wants the skull of the Saber Chieftain, but this creature, mighty as it is, will only slow him. A pity. Perhaps my brethren may aid us in this. Uh, forgive me. I lead us to the nearest uh, the copse of trees and dig my claws deep into one of the pines and climb up and up till I get to the top and let out a deep, low howl. And in a moment, we are surrounded by people, wolfmen, sniffing and marking at the trees tearing at pant legs, digging at pockets. Enough, enough, there's enough to go around here. Take them, take them. Oh, what do you give them? Oh, he has dog treats. He's a poisoner. Oh, well, He's got to break into people's houses all the time. <laughs> Yikes. All these werewolves are walking out on all fours. 
except one of them, walking big and tall, chest out, six foot nine, if you will, Zach. Wow. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And we grunt and communicate quietly in wolf speak away silently from the three of you. And this bigger wolf backhands me to the ground and walks silently to the rest of you. Uh, Sadek. Wait, what's your mystery? It's immoral. Or immoral, yeah. I was going to just use this as a bridging. So uh, m- the moral is going to be that I shouldn't ask for help if I don't know who I'm asking. Oh. That's really good. Ooh, like uh, that. But also, yeah. you, weren't, you weren't stymied, right? Well, I got his help. There's just a complication. Well, yeah, but the, the demand was to show how you led them through the darkness, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna, where the pack is going to take us through the darkness with the complication that, Sadek, what do you have to offer the pack to get us guidance? God. Oh, that's actually nice. And I will, of course, pass the dice to Sadek. Did that did that work? Was I too fancy with all that? No, no. I it, it all it all comes together for sure. I think I just needed that clarification. Yeah, I like that. I was not expecting the wolf to hit you. I was like, I was like, oh no. Um. All right. So I start off by rolling right, and that is a jovial. So as this wolf pack came and started sniffing at our pockets and touching us and grabbing us and stuff the first thing Sadek did was was grab his only precious thing this brass lamb and like raise it up and like clutch it close and and hold it tight as these were creatures sift through all of our pockets and kind of surround us and Sadek hears the crack as this massive werewolf hits Roland to the ground and then starts walking over to Sadek and the other the other two and Sadek stands tall and keeps the lamp close to his chest and the massive wolf man holds out a hand asking for this thing that is clearly precious to Sadek that he refuses to hand over and Sadek holds it close and stares at this did you say six foot nine <laughs> werewolf yes yes one inch taller than Kieran this towering werewolf and says, I will not hand over this thing, for it is more precious to me than my life. But if you are to rally your pack and guide us through this darkness, then I will lend my services and the services of my love to you. I will offer you any wisdom you seek, answers to any questions you ask, and that is the best I can do. Any more, and I will ask that you tear out my throat here. Or try. And Kieran hasn't gotten a scene this phase, right? I don't feel like I need to add anything to this scene, and I'm going to say we, we end this rogues phase. Yeah. I like oh, yeah. it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, motifs. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just add frosting chains. <laughs> cane. Scythe. Because <laughs> I fucking lost my shit at frosting chains. I don't know if this is what you intended, Nate, but the image of Roland at the top of the pine howling under this white waxing or waning moon did harken back to the Black Ziggurat to me. Mm, there oh, it is. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. This tall that. pine with Roland yeah, at the top. Yeah, totally works for me. So yeah, howling yeah, under a waxing moon. And that's perfect. That totally, like... Totally relates back. That fits. Yeah. All right. We're in the third motif now. So let's keep moving. I'm going to roll the tones. Wow. Doubles again. Okay. Jovial it is. I'm going to take my opportunity here to hearken my omen and the thunder will be the birth of the blood red sun. Ooh. So I'm jovial and you're going to set it up so that you've got the thunder 
I am going to enter a discovery phase again. The four of you hear the crashing of the surf before you can see the ocean. You can smell it, that salt air, that invigorating scent. Something has always drawn human souls to the ocean. It's just that brief moment right before the sunrise. And you can see that that glow across the horizon, filling the sky with these light colors. But silhouetted against it moves the graceful, slow movement of the massive god of water buffalo. It is miles out into the ocean, but the water only comes up to its knees as it crashes through the water, whitewash flowing over its fur. I'm going to pick up the dice. The sun cracks the horizon. It is blood red. And as it comes above, there seems to be a dull thrum in the air. I'm going to pass the dice to... Who had the fucking vision of the water buffalo? Father Carlisle. Did you get a stymie? It's just glum. Yeah. Uh, Father Carlisle starts daintily walking out into the surf, holding his robes up above the tide line as it crashes against his pale thighs. In one hand, he holds out a large oatmeal cake. The smells of it gusting to this god of water buffalo as he lures it in. Slowly, seemingly against its own will, the water buffalo god comes towards him. Letting go of his robes, he draws out a long, black-bladed ritual dagger hidden in, within his robes. As the uh, the water buffalo god comes and begins eating this cake out of his hand, he slits its throat high above him, letting the blood pour down onto him. Blessed once again with a vision, this time of the ziggurat more closely, he sees the symbols that must be drawn onto the ziggurat with a god's blood in order to open the door. Father Carlisle pulls out a a chalice and catches some of this falling blood as the water buffalo corpse topples to one side. I love that we've been playing this for like two hours and we've killed two and a half gods (laughs) so far. (laughs) This game rocks. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. One god per hour. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good rate. That's a good rate. That's a good return investment. Uh, What horrible danger was this god's life force holding back? (laughs) Oh, Oh, great. Thanks. Oh, fuck. Um, Glad I have my femur. No, that was what it was holding back, was your femur just explodes. (laughs) (laughs) The water buffalo god was holding back the hungry void, that which devours. It kept it from coming ashore and devouring all the land. So while it could dwell in the ocean and devour ships, occasionally devour islands, now it has the chance to devour everything. I'm going to end the phase there. Oh, wow. Interesting. I'm going to roll the tone for the next phase. Oh, motifs. Being showered in God's blood is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah that was the one I was thinking of. Drenched in, the, drenched in the blood of a God. An infinite devouring nothingness that can consume the world is also spicy. An infinite devouring void. All right, we're down to the last thread of this motif. So try to hit 
things that reference the last two because that's the only way that we can fill it out, right? I'm going to roll the tone. Glom. Excellent. I would like to enter a respite phase because we have not had one yet. So the respite phase is a phase of the advanced game. So it is not on your reference sheet. It is only in the core rules. But basically what we're going to do here is a little different. The way that this works is basically you guys are not under any danger. There's nothing really crazy happening. It gives all of you a chance to reflect on your adventure so far. Um, and I think particularly towards the end game is actually a really interesting time to do this. So the way this is going to work, I rolled for the overtone and I'm going to set the scene here in a minute, but there's no thunder. The dice will remain on the table and you should not wait to be handed the dice before you start. The way that this phase starts is a little different. What happens is you're not going to describe things. You are going to talk explicitly in character. And what's going to happen is it's going to start out with quote unquote, the icebreaker. The icebreaker is the first rogue who will speak must recall the events that surround a thread already on the table. So pick out one of the threads. It could be a motif, a mystery, or a moral. And you're going to start the conversation with that. Once that happens, you're free to roleplay your rogues in whatever manner comes naturally. As long as you continue to hit the overtone. So the overtone is important. Rumors and gossip. So everything that you say is not like set in stone. You're not describing what's actually happening. You're describing how your rogue is perceiving things. And then at any time that you want to, if you wish to go against the tone that is set on the table, you can pick up the dice and roll for it. And then you might succeed, you might not. So you might either change the tone for yourself or not. Stymies flip the overtone and make it everyone's new tone. But there's no actual stymie. So it's just flipping the overtone that happens if you roll doubles. If you roll a moral or a mystery, however... You don't create a thread like you normally would. Instead, you introduce a thunder. And then basically, if it happens again, that thunder will become a storm. So the way that you end this phase is there are, there are three ways to end it. The first way is the overplayer just ends it. The second way is for a thread to be rolled on when a thunder has already happened. So the thunder gets introduced. If somebody rolls another one, instead, the phase ends and the overplayer starts a perilous phase with the thunder from the respite phase becoming the storm. And then the third way is for a rogue player to slip the respite phase into another phase. So it could be perilous discovery or a rogue's phase. It's kind of like you get to a point where you're, you it becomes more about action rather than talking. So if that happens, then we're going to transition into whatever scene makes sense. Does that all follow? Yep. Cool. Yep. That's the respite phase. So we are in Glum. The four of you sit with your legs dangling off into an empty chasm. You cannot even see where it ends. It just falls into shadow across this canyon. This is a black ziggurat. Above it, hanging low in the western sky is the setting red sun hovering just above the precipice of the ziggurat. Whoever chooses to can begin with an icebreaker. I believe that I could hurl you maybe halfway across the chasm. <laughs> but I know I could not get you the full way as much as my heart <laughs> would tell me I am capable of such things. I know I am not. My brawny friend, I do not believe you could throw my bulk halfway across the cavern. That we must be missing something. There is no bridge. Have you not been espousing the virtues of your pony? Can it not take you across the gap? I would ask my mule, but his feet are tired. I have never asked the wind to carry me this far. Do you doubt his stamina? I look back over my shoulder at this tiny pony. No, I do not doubt his stamina. 
But if I am the only one over there, then what of the rest of you? Uh, I'm going to roll the dice and try to change the tone to to jovial. Uh, no, it is still glum, but nothing else happens. Sadek, would you not ask your god to ferry us across this chasm? My god is not a servant to be called upon to do menial tasks. Just as you acknowledge that you could not throw us across this chasm, or wind could carry us across, we have to accept and acknowledge the limitations of our stations. Well, what's at the bottom of the chasm? As Roland is, is laying on his back with Adderwolf picking tiny little god snakes out of my flesh, <sighs> tossing them up into the air and catching it in its beak. Has no one looked? Sadak like, grimaces when he sees you doing this. Must you be so grotesque with your affliction, Roland? I've looked like this the entire time you've known me. <laughs> Not your lycanthropy, those serpents. You should let him do it. It, it feels, actually feels good. I'm going to try to change the tone. I realize. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Done. Never mind then. We're going to do that again because that, that was not a glum response. You should let him try. It actually feels quite good. Mm, I will suffer on my own. Thank you very much. Suffering or not, we have to get across this somehow. Together. Can we see to the bottom of this chasm? I described no, you cannot. But that doesn't mean there aren't necessarily other ways to do so. I think Sadek does kind of walk to the edge and look down and he says, um, I think that Roland's suggestion is our best bet. We cannot fly across. We cannot be thrown across. And so we must walk. Carlisle. Uh, yes, friend Kieran. Do you have any sense of a rope or something within those many pockets of yours? Let me, uh, dwell in prayer for a minute and see what I can... Pull from Bacalao's heavenly oven. <laughs> I think I'm going to end the phase there. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a good time. Uh, I'm going to roll this down. Oh, anybody got a motif that they want to throw out that, that fulfills our last criteria? If not, that's fine. It's not a big deal. We can keep. Uh, so, cool. Uh, I just rolled a glum. We're going to stay in glum. I'm going to enter a rogues phase. The red sun has stopped in its motion. It sits, looking as if it is resting upon the top of the black ziggurat. It's thud, thud, thud. This drum-like thrumming continues to pulse throughout the heavy air that seems to stick around you, that seems to weigh heavy upon you, much like the earth did when you were in the caverns. I'm going to pick the dice up and let peel the thunder... At different times, though you do not speak of it because you cannot speak of it, each of you feels a slithering underneath your skin. I'm going to pass the dice to Sadek. Sadek, show us how you guide our party of rogues across the canyon and to the ziggurat. Oh, and that is double ones. Ooh! <laughs> All right, uh, so we have a mystery... But also, it means um, you have to reject that somehow. Either you don't guide the rogues over, you guys don't go over, you alone go over, 
you go over, but the ziggurat's not there because <laughs> I specified that you led them to it. Yeah, something goes wrong, but you have to introduce a mystery on this as well. The four of us are making our way in the dark of the chasm, led by the soft blue light of my love, Rimana, who I have released from the safety of her lamp, and she is using her knowledge to guide us through this darkness. And we are making our way through this dangerous chasm, slowly, step by step, guided almost entirely by the soft blue glow of her light. And as we are making our way, we approach the gate that will cross us over into the ziggurat. And before us, in the light of Ramana's soul, is cast glowing red eyes, barring the way between us and the gate. And it is Nuruk Nurai, the ghoul bandit, and his gang of, of ghouls. And Nuruk Nurai stands there with a rolled cigarette in his mouth. And it is lit the same red as his eyes as he smiles a terrible ghoul smile. The mystery that I have is, is what does Nuruk Nurai want with the skull you're codifying it i like it uh i think i'm gonna pass it to roland and i'm going to ask show us how a were beast deals with ghouls <laughs> love that so that's glum we're still in the jovial overtone so we still get to be bloody but for some reason we're sad about it <laughs> <laughs> been there you could also feat heroic if you if you want to be bloody oh yes oh, thank yeah. you for reminding me why would i not do that in this specific situation yeah. so i'll activate my feat heroic and as naruk Nurai's mocking ghoulish grin meets our gaze and we are surrounded by his gang of ghouls i become overwhelmed with an anger with a hunger and I push forward through my compatriots and leap at Nuruk Narai, who vanishes in a cloud of smoke, leaving only his mocking gaze, two smoldering red eyes in a cloud of smoke. But I find purchase, luckily, in one of his compatriots, and I tear them to shreds. And the band then realizes that their boss cares not for them. They begin backing away, but it's too late. As I move with a clean and nauseating efficiency. Uh, I would like to end the phase. Uh, I think we finished the third motif with the glowing yep. eyes and the smoke as he disappeared. Glowing, I totally agree. Glowing red eyes in smoke. Okay, so that means that since we filled out the third motif, we're going to enter the end game here. The way that this works is we're going to continue playing as normal, only you guys have the opportunity to reincorporate things that we have accomplished during our journey. So basically, the way that this is going to work is you can, at any point that you're, that you're rolling the dice, you can reincorporate a thread. Once you do so, you no longer receive the dice. Your rogue can stay on this journey and you can continue to interject with little snippets, but you're no longer going to have narrative control. So you want it to, you know, you want it to matter, whatever you're doing. So basically, you can also choose to ignore any threads rolled. So if you roll a, a new thread, so a mystery or a moral, you can ignore them and reincorporate an existing thread instead. So for reincorporating morals, what you're going to say is either show a way in which your rogue has learned that moral 
or rejects that moral. Once you do so, we will cross that moral off. No one else can use it, and you've reincorporated it. For mysteries, you will answer the mystery. Once you do that, we will cross it off. No one else can use it. For motifs, you're going to take two or more elements from motifs, and you're going to combine them and synthesize a new element. So you're going to take two different motifs that we've written down. So perhaps you could take Black Ziggurat Under a Pale Moon and Frosting Chains Candy Cane Scythe and combine them into a, a ziggurat, a, a cake ziggurat, right? You could you could do something like that in order to reincorporate them. So you have to combine them in some way. And then we'll cross both of them off and it cannot be used to reincorporate. Once three of you, so at all players but the last player, have done this, the game ends. The last player who did not reincorporate can either say, everything is satisfactorily concluded, we're done here, and then we finish. Or if they think that there's still a little bit more that needs to be told, they can have a zoomed out view and they get to write the epilogue and say what the epilogue is. So we're going to go until basically there's only one of you left as far as reincorporation goes. I'm going to roll the overtone. Glum. The four of you take your slow steps, your legs heavy, climbing up the stairs of the ziggurat. The blood stains that drenched the stairs eons ago have soaked into the stone, now dry but still colored there, this rust black red. As you come up, you see the red eyes reincorporating from the smoke. Noruk Norai waits for you at the top of the ziggurat. He draws feverishly on the door in blood. Oh yeah, I'm entering a perilous phase. As the doors swing open, unlocked by the blood of a god, Noruk Norai turns back towards you, his flesh hanging from his face. He draws his white blade. It sings as it cuts through the air. He looks at the four of you. He comes down one step and another, coming to meet you. And then quickly, the next three, thrusting his blade out and picking up the dice and let peeling the thunder. From within the temple, a red light seems to be focusing down, magnified onto something. I'm going to pass the dice over to Kieran. And as this white blade comes screaming through the air down towards you, it cuts through some of Father Carlisle's robes. His ensorcelled candies going spilling down across the stairs of the ziggurat. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very serious. Shut up. <laughs> it's a serious game for serious people. Noruk Norai then like, backhand swings his white blade and it comes screaming back across. It comes dangerously close to you, Kieran. It cuts into your arm and lops it off at the elbow. It digs into your ribs. And cuts through, seeking your heart. It screams for your. I'm gonna blood. roll. I'm gonna roll there. I'm gonna roll it. It finds your heart. It <laughs> it, it cuts it. Glum. I didn't want glum. Glum is you're missing an arm, bruh. So he cut off my arm. Great. As my arm leaves my body, luckily I have another. I grab the skull that was on top of my head and slowly take it off and toss the skull to Sidek. And as the skull leaves, you hear a rending 
as my body takes on all of the pain and suffering that it had engaged with before I had put the skull, you just hear like a wrenching as my femur again like re-breaks and my leg goes limp. But he's so close, I grab Naruk Narai around the back of the neck and I take him to the ground and I let out a half-hearted go and I try to muscle him over to start slowly slumping him down the steps of the ziggurat urging my compatriots to move on even still as Nurik Nurai's cigarette burns into my neck <laughs> I, 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 I fade out I think it's like the, the moment of like taking someone off a cliff but it, I'm not taking them off the cliff I get beyond the shadow of the ziggurat I'm doing everything I can to keep him away from you guys. I'm I think I'm reincorporating know the limits of your own strength. I was also thinking how was I filled with this renewed fervor? Yeah, let's do that one. How was I filled with this renewed fervor? It was the skull that had given me the strength and I I I roll down to my own uncertain fate. Um are you picking up the dice? Yes. I'm going uh Zach I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to give them to Sadek because I gave you the skull and that makes the most sense to me. The three of you make your way into the Black Ziggurat. It's cold, empty, dull hole like halls seem to eat the echoes of your footsteps. You take a step and you expect to hear it reverberate, but it does not. The stone devours the sound. And you make your way through following this laser light this beam of red light burning down into the center of the ziggurat, and you come to a point where you must descend down black stairs again into an empty chasm beneath you, where this beam of light seems to fall into you. Behind you, a coalescence of red eyes, cigarette light and smoke trails after you. As the three of you now having lost a companion, lost a rogue, make your way down this stairwell, going around and around, slowly descending into the blackness. The smoke instead just comes over the ledge, races down, diving down to meet you. It appears before you, three pinpricks of red light, eyes, and cigarette. Roland, I feel like you're in the lead. Your animalistic nature leading you to charge down the stairwell without a second thought. But you're stopped short as you feel, but not see, a blade cut across your chest, an invisible cut that leaves a trail of crimson. You're stopped short as you try to figure out what's going on, and you see the lights hanging in the haze that seem to reflect the beam. You can just make out the faint outline of Noruk Norai and his blade. I think I'm, I'm going to roll. Okay. That is continued glum as the three of us remaining flee into the darkness with Naruk Narai in pursuit. Sadek holds tight the chieftain's skull in one hand and his beloved's brass lamp in the other. And as they make their way, a wisp of white light wraps around his throat and he hears a whisper in his ear and it is his love with knowledge from beyond his senses, answering what the chieftain's skull is, telling him of its value, 
this is the last fossilized piece of life of an ancient species, a primal species, that would become the genesis of both Lycanthrope and Ghoul. And Nurukhnarai hopes to use it to become a godlike being of both very cool uh, here in this dark land in this in this land beyond death he hopes that he can channel this primal species and he must be slain else he achieve his dark goals i think that's all i have after answering that so i'm picking up the dice you've, you've at least come to a realization excellent uh so you're reincorporating what does no rook no rai want with the chieftain's skull right we have one more thread to reincorporate and i'm passing the dice to roll in yeah, okay, perfect. So this blade comes cutting out at you, this blade that cuts both flesh and soul, this white blade that Nuruk Norai carries. He lashes it out again, and it cuts across your belly this time, crossing over the cut on your chest. These streaks of red that you can feel but not see in this darkness. You realize that if you attempt to move your way through the smoke that is Nuruk Norai, that he will cut the very breath from your body. Sick. It leans forward again and reaches out, attempting to reach past you to grab the skull from Sedek's hands. I'm rolling. Cool. Jovial. Wonderful. I see Nuruk Narai semi-corporeal reaching for the skull, realizing what this is all about and what I have to do. I'm taking this opportunity now. I reach for my neck and grip tightly my albatross and snap it in two, and from each side of this long cylinder, now broken, explodes blinding red light, and it cuts deeper and sharper than a sword through me, my hands, Nuruk Nurai, and the skull. Blood spraying from my new fresh wounds, glittering in the freshly made two beams that protrude from my now fallen corpse. The skull, now bifurcated, rests on the ground near me, and two burn marks in the wall, like eyes, from the red, burning sun. And so I wish to incorporate a spray of luminescent, acidic blood, sparkling like gunpowder, and glowing red eyes and smoke. Yep. All right, Candyman, take it home. I just have one just little thing just to wrap everything up. Uh, handle, handle the epilogue, my friend. Okay. Stepping past where Roland fell, Father Carlisle makes his way down, down, down these black stairs to where this beam of red sunlight has been channeled through the cigarette. A room that was once a great forge. Carefully from his pack, he pulls out like a, a small tablecloth and sets on it the, the vial of God's blood and the serpent's egg and some other ingredients and begins mixing in a bowl, pouring the mixture into a muffin tin. God damn it! <laughs> and then he places it in the the light, turning towards the mule, Doru. I believe our god shall be much pleased with these delights, don't you think? And I think that's where the camera... Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you holy you shit. sack of shit. You mad, yeah. you mad man. <laughs> you did it. 
that is so good because I was like, I was like, well, what, what did we want here? Like, so we we answered what Nerd and Ryan, what did we want here? Wait, 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 wait! Don't, don't leave yet. Don't leave yet, please. This is once again your favorite time traveler, Nathan, returning rather painfully, I might add, from a still ruined Midwest. This was a very special game for us. We haven't had a lot of visitors in Chimeria, and so I want to take this opportunity to thank, once again, Zach Garth for joining us. He and his partner Diana run an amazing actual play of their own called Heart Points, which you can find at your local podcatcher. You can find the cast at Heart Points Pod on Twitter, and Zach at ZW Garth. Also, thanks to Gabby Vanek for doing our intro music this week. Check her out at G-E-V-A-N-E-K. That's G-E-Vanek on SoundCloud or Vanek at the Disco. V-A-N-E-K underscore at the Disco on Instagram. She just recorded a new album which will be out in the near future. Finally, thanks to you for listening to me. Uh, I've put some extra silly bits in for the trouble, if that's your thing. I love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm playing Rollin. Shit. I already fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Not me this time. Usually uh, it's you fine. haven't gone yet. Don't, don't talk shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't put that curse on you. Do the motifs we incorporate have to be from different uh, tiers? I don't remember. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think we can do that. Yeah, there's some spicy ones. Oh, yeah. I, infinite, an infinite devouring frosting. <laughs> <laughs> Drenched in the blood of an empty stocking. Like <laughs> <laughs> cigarette under a candy cane side. Those are great. Ziggurat and Sword and Sorcery are just like, I yes. love. Yeah, <laughs> I, I started narrating with zero idea where I was going with it. I was like, eh, we'll get there. And then no, I was literally like, 90% of the time, there's a, like, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know, a Ziggurat, it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I could write like, Sword and Sorcery. It's just like, well, I've wrote myself in a corner. Time to put a Ziggurat in. <laughs> Seriously, like classic like dope smoker to me, like ideas like so there's this were beast chasing this buffalo and it, it gets through brackish water and then you're like, wait, bracket like seawater? What the fuck is a buffalo doing near the sea? What are these wear things? What is this ziggurat? <laughs> yeah, that I was, was like, like perfect prog rock. I was very yeah, yeah. yeah just like oh yeah, definitely like just some just some guitar just wailing over it. deeper and deeper, uh, deeper and deeper. I would like to continue. I want to talk, but I don't want to talk like you. Okay, we're gonna do this. I was going to do the thing down here, and I think we would just be sounding like we were talking to each other. Two gruff guys. Yeah, two gruff guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to gruff town. Yeah, all right. Got to stab a thing. Tell him, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh, yeah, we would just be doing the Doom Bringers thing. <laughs> yep. The four of you are in Candyland now. Um, My favorite. We can be. Lord Licorice is hunting you down. Um. <laughs> Lord Licorice gave me fucking nightmares as a kid. He was spooky. Way spooky. Yeah. yeah. The the whole game, there's a lot of stuff on that board that's like Ew. the fudge the fudge like, monster yeah, is, is slightly unsettling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, eh, I don't like that. 
Yeah. Don't remember anything about. Just I'm gonna be honest. The fucking doesn't like mean I'm not dying. Princess Frosting or whatever too. She also freaked me out. So really, I just hated the whole game. I think. <laughs> they updated the art recently to make it like less creepy and it's very disappointing wow. yeah oh, oh. they they rounded out the edges because they realized kids were having nightmares <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just pure i essential. want the things that scarred me to be the same thing that scarred the next generation <laughs> exactly if my children can't be scarred by the same thing if they can't bear my traumas also <laughs> and listen it's legit i have i have to find an old copy for my new for my daughter because oh wait yeah. actually some of this new art is actually terrifying as well sorry i did have to google <laughs> <laughs> It's just scary in different ways now. <laughs>